places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again I can't wait to get on the road again Hey everybody and welcome to the Where's Willie podcast. Join me, William Miller, as I travel the country talking to manufacturers of all types about their trials, tribulations, and triumphs in the industry. This show is brought to you by Koganay International America, Inc. Hey everybody and welcome to the Where's Willie podcast, a national manufacturing podcast sponsored by Koganay International America, Inc., a global manufacturer of more than 512,000 components that help miniaturize every device, machine, robotic, and automated process in every industry sector of manufacturing. Today on the Where's Willie podcast, my virtual travels take me to Reno, Nevada to talk with Tatsuya Nakagawa, or just simply Tats, COO of Castagra Products, Inc., Tats, welcome to the Where's Willie podcast. Well, thanks, Willie, for uh, having me as a guest. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, we can get into the bio and your history because I think it's really remarkable. And I think that the listeners, I mean, I know that I was impressed. So I want to give everybody a little bit of context. I got to know Tats through the C-Suite Network, which to me has been life-changing. I've put on my uh, LinkedIn and just about everywhere I go. The podcast is now hitting the C-Suite radio. So just a huge honor to be associated with the leadership of Jeffrey Hazlett and uh, Trisha Ben and their executive team. And obviously amazing members of the C-Suite Network like Tats. So, you know, Tats, that's where you and I got to know each other. You're doing some really remarkable things through innovation. And that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast. So just for all of our listeners and to give you a little bit of context as well, the Where's Willie podcast is about all things manufacturing. So everything from coatings to medical devices and everything in between the story of your company is really unique. So let's start there. So for the listeners, who is Castagra? And we'll get into it. <laughs> sure, no problem. Uh, Castagra is a coding company, it's more particularly a roofing and flooring company at this point. But about 10 years ago, my business partner had some non-competes that ran out on a technology invented 30, 30 years ago. And we decided, hey, you know what, why don't we develop some new IP and launch this coding technology into the, or relaunch it into the marketplace. And we were looking around and there wasn't a big grandmaster plan, but it just happened to, to be that there was a competition hosted by Dragon's Den, which is Shark Tank in Canada. And Kevin O'Leary, Robert Herjavec, the, the stars of the Shark, Shark, Shark Tank were hosting it. And long story short, out of 4,000 companies, we came in first for being the best sustainable innovation in Canada. And we received $100,000, no equity given up. And we got aired, the show got aired about a dozen times. We probably had about 12 or 14 million views. So obviously, and I knew that, you know, with, with our relationship, you know, prior to this, but for all of our listeners that started in their garage, I'm sorry. That's not how your company did. So you guys went from Hollywood to mainstream and you got to work really quick. Being that you're a manufacturer of chemistry or additive chemistry, producing a coating, what are the industries that your product are suited for or applications? Yeah, I think when we first started, our technology had so many applications and oil and gas, water and wastewater, flooring, roofing, and all these other markets. And I think we spread ourselves 
too thin. And what we've learned over the years is that it doesn't matter how great your idea is that you have to focus. Just like your company is really focused on a certain segment of the market, it's it's quite a relatively large company, but you still have to focus because no matter how big you are, resources are limited. So where we've settled in on is certain segments of the roofing coding market, which deals with specifiers, contractors, and, and we go through distribution. And we've really honed in on that to, to provide a, a good customer experience. But it was a hard learning. As an entrepreneur, you want to do it all. 100%. And I will say also, even for you know those listeners and including myself, I'm not 85 years old when Kogane, a privately owned Japanese company, started in Tokyo, Japan. So being able to join an organization with great leadership, you know, and this was the opposite challenge that, you know, you and I had some conversation about was I come into an organization that has been sustaining, had global growth. Kogane USA is a subsidiary, one of seven of Kogane Corporation that came to North America. This was the last geography for them to invest in and develop. So being in Asia, being in Europe for 85 years, now they're taking all those learnings, you know, the the skinning your your knees and, you know, looking at different market segments. I come in and I say, okay, we make 512,000 components. What are we going to focus on? And, you know, some of the challenge, especially now when you get into a leadership role, like for me, being head of marketing for the Americas, we sell through distribution. What is the consistent message that I want to be extending out to the customers that we serve, which would be design engineers, mechanical engineers, and then also our sales channel. So the consistent focus is, are, where do we want, who wants Kogane and, and why? Just bringing that up is a great transition to talk about. Here you guys come from tremendous starting success. Then real life happens. <laughs> and I think it, it's a good transition because... It's going to showcase and illustrate probably one of the biggest learnings. When you're growing, you go where the customer is, right? We always talk about voice of the customer, go where the attention is. You don't always try to go into a market sector, but if you do well and word spreads, you get more and more customers in that market. Can you talk about how great that was at first, but what happened in 2014 and what you had to do because it wasn't good. Please talk about it. Absolutely. So we, we were growing into multiple different segments, but there's one segment, which was the oil and gas sector, which consistently started to take a bigger percentage of our customers. And we knew that this was a problem. This is your textbook, keeping your industries and your exposure limited. But the clients in that area were like Halliburton and Shell, and they just were just big companies. Yeah. So we were trying to grow wastewater. It wasn't growing as fast as it, it could. And 2014 hit and our sales plummeted where the price of oil came down. And I remember sitting at my desk, looking at the, the computer with the blank look on your face. Cause when you're an entrepreneur and you, you're put in this situation, you get these flashes of what story am I going to tell people when this all goes to flames? You know, the embarrassment, you have all these bad thoughts to start creeping into your head. I'm a pretty positive guy, but there is, when your sales tank by 80%, there's nothing really positive about that. And you're, you're hunting around for a, a magic pill. And I remember reaching out to my mentor who went through something similar and his mentor 
was the second richest guy in Canada. So I thought, you know what, this guy is going to give me some good advice. So, yeah. so I asked him, and you know what he told me, Billy? Hmm. Well, he said, go and find the most important thing that you have to do next. What's the highest priority? So go do that. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I, I found the next important thing and, and, and I did that. And then he said, after you do that, find the next most important thing that's going to get you out of this and go do that. And it sounds really stupid and simple and, and dumb, but the, the takeaway is that when you have such a big sort of downward negative thing that happens to you, you're always trying to look for that one thing. It's never going to be that one thing that's going to dig you out. And mm. what happens is you get so distracted looking for these things and getting pulled in so many directions that you stop doing stuff. You stop taking action. And his tip to me that he got from his mentor was just keep doing the best that you possibly can and keep actioning things. Even if you're not 100% sure if that's going to get it done, sure. just keep doing the next thing. And it kept us really focused on doing the next thing. And of course, we caught a few lucky breaks and we survived because luck is part of it, right? You get lucky by doing the right things. Like for instance, if you, if you hang out the tracks betting on horses, you're not going to get lucky. But if you're doing the right things in the right areas, your chances of getting quote unquote lucky are much greater. And that sort of piece of advice always stays with me. And so sort of when you deal with adversity is that do not get overwhelmed with the challenge. Just keep firing away. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's very easily when you do go through adversity, because in leadership and business, there's a lot of pride. And it's very difficult for all of us. I don't care, you know, what ethnicity or background, if you're privately funded, angel investors, you know, corporate and shareholder driven, you never want to admit a failure. And I think, you know, the one thing that I really admire, you know, about your leadership, your company and how you guys were able to rebound, again, going back to the context of the crash in the market, the recognizable thing was, of course, you know, you following through on the advice of focusing on what was the most important at that time, because it's triage. You've got a, you're down sales 80%. You guys go from, again, being promoted all over on TV, and now you're going to crash and burn. Huge embarrassment. So I'm not going to get too much into the steps that you took, but I will say the one thing that you probably learned most was you got to diversify because if you go all in and that industry succumbs to events that are outside of our control, hint, pandemic, <laughs> bad things can happen. And where we're at presently, you know, you and I, uh, we've been um, part of some uh, virtual gatherings, you know, through the C-suite where we've been talking to some celebrities, uh, amazing leaders. We, we talk a lot about the adversity we're facing and what are we hearing? Everybody's facing it that is limited, right? I wouldn't want to be in the restaurant business right now. Mm, yeah. And it's similar to how you guys were in 2014. So recognizing that, hey, we make a product that is attractable because of its properties or what it does for the end customer, we shouldn't align ourselves in just one industry. So I guess, you know, looking at how you guys overcame 2014, realizing that you had to search and target new markets, how do you think that that experience then prepared you to what we all got hit with in January, 
no more face-to-face, damaging our sales channel because they're not having Mindshare interacting with the customers. What was your experience then that you've learned in adding to new markets that helped you guys be, I wouldn't say prepared, but be able to react more quickly when this pandemic hit? Yeah, I think a few things. One of the things I love about what you're doing, Willie, is you're you're talking to people from different industries. Hmm. And I truly believe when you talk about innovation and manufacturing that a lot of the best ideas that create sort of game-changing improvements in any industry, they are happening in a unrelated industry. And yeah. it's key is to discovering that innovation or methodology and adapting it or just taking it outright and copying it into another industry is what sort of leads to success. And I've always looked at the technology sector and how they've utilized social media and technology. And I've always tried to bring that into the building materials or the coatings world because it's traditionally slower or even the manufacturing sector. It's traditionally slower on how they're adapting social. And I think people are people. So if you see it working in one sector, eventually another sector is gonna catch up or you can be able to capitalize it on it right away. So that's sort of learning. And the second part in terms of diversification, we're in flooring, we're in commercial and residential on the roofing side. So there there is different implications. You don't wanna get too spread out so that your marketing dollars and your efforts but I find that it's really important to partner with the right companies to help you. We we used to have this classic thing that many entrepreneurs have is that we feel like we can do it all. Like, oh, oh we can so. do this, we can do that, we can read this. We take on too many roles. And I think as companies are growing, even if in more established companies, sometimes they take on too much and they don't realize they need outside help or they need to bring in new people or they have to look within themselves and say, look, what is stopping me from growing? Because ultimately an organization is only good as the leaders within the organization and they're sort of reflecting on who they are and what they need to become to be a better leader at that next level. So Japanese philosophies are is big on continuous improvement. So I think that's great and I, I actually admire what your company, Willie, that your partner is doing. Because traditionally, Japanese companies are very good in two segments, automotive and consumer electronics. So, so anything outside that, usually they're not as good at coming out and going overseas into the market. And they sometimes take an island approach where they take what's worked in one region and just cookie cutter it. But what I see what you guys are doing is is you have quite a bit of latitude on how you approach it. So I have fun seeing that. Well, and I appreciate that, but I can't take credit. You know, one of the things that, and and I haven't told you this in any of our meetings, but, you know, Kuro Shacho, our president, uh, based in Fremont, California, you know, something had happened and I didn't realize that I was failing for a long time. So just to give a little bit of context to, to continue our conversation, I used to be leading in sales. And then January 1st, 2019, our president says, you know, we we were at a meeting and he says, I'd like you to go into marketing and business development. And I said, why am I failing in sales? He says, no, but I want you to gain new insights from a different perspective. And I have to admit to you, like I said to him, you know, 
you know, I, I kind of feel like I, I did something wrong because, and now I, I give him so much. I tell him this. I said, you know, I'm not, you know, doing Gama Suri. I, I really do appreciate. I learned how much I was failing. And I'll, and I'll give you some context. Sure. When I was leading sales, and you're the COO, so you appreciate this. I was focused on revenue, transactions, gross profit margin each and every day. What I was losing sight of that I've gained since now being in marketing, I was so focused on each individual product and making, telling everybody how great that was. And what I had been missing up until I had some mentors, people like that you and I know through the C-Suite network, that I said, rather than tell me about how great this product is, tell me about what future technologies you are embracing with that's in line with what Kogane is good at. For example, you had said sometimes, you know, we have these aha moments through, you know, communication and industries or applications that aren't necessarily what we've been focused on. Perfect example. Kogane for 85 years has always focused on miniaturization, small, small, small. So when we talk about factory automation, we want to make it smaller. When we talk about medical devices, we want to make them smaller, lighter in weight, physically smaller, use less power, right? Through my travels globally, I have, you can call it an attitude, my opinion. This is not Kogane's opinion. North America, South America, the Americas are not embracing automation, or at least they weren't until this pandemic. Now they have to because safety matters and having workers within three feet of each other isn't acceptable. So we're seeing an increase of robotics, pneumatic automation, electrical control, PLC automation, remote IIoT, those things. But what I look at in a paradigm is there's emerging technologies that I think is the future. And I don't know where we would ever fit, but here's the correlation. MEMS, the acronym, Microelectromechanical systems. These are nano-sized working moving parts, about four millimeters, so the size of a pencil tip, that can function, operate, give feedback to you know PLCs, remote I/O. So to just know that that technology is there, all that has done is allow me to then now focus on our core of what are we good at? Miniaturization. So. Being in this role has transitioned and humbled me a lot because I thought I was one of the best sales guys there were. I helped build a distribution network from scratch. I thought everybody loved me. We were growing, sales growth, new projects were coming in, engineers in Japan were really happy. But all that time it was transaction focused, which was hedging towards a big problem. Should I have been in sales during the pandemic, I would have said, oh no. But now when the pandemic hit for us, I have been focusing on messaging and the attention to don't buy Kogane because of the part. Buy Kogane because you want to miniaturize what you do. And so by going into this role, just like the wake up you had in 2014, it is amazing how different scenarios do teach us along the way. And I think, like I said, it's just been great to kind of hear your story as an entrepreneur and hear how you kind of skinned your knees in a different way, in a different industry. Yet we're both coming to that same conclusion of you're not focusing on your codings and why everybody needs to be by, excuse me, by just 
you know, that coding or each transaction. Now you're looking at, because of what happened in 2014, what emerging technologies are going to embrace what we're really, really good at. And I think that's probably, you know, your wake up was able, your ability to realize that. And now you are, you know, going into different market segments. So, you know, huge kudos to you. Let's talk about leadership then. So being the COO uh, currently at Casagra, looking at the market segment now, making adjustments and pivots to the pandemic, when what investments or how much time are you putting into then becoming a better leader? And for you, what does that look like? Mm, yeah, so a few different things, but I'll just go back to what you mentioned. You coming from sales, going to marketing. That's, a, that's an interesting bit. I came from the marketing world. And I've always stuck to the marketing world. I spent a lot of time there, built up a lot of experience, but then I've had to overcome some beliefs around, like I'm kind of siloed away from finance, operations, sales. Mm -hmm. And over the last couple of years, I've really spent some time in learning those disciplines to a certain extent. And that's really helped me evaluate what the best decision for the company could possibly be in, in some of these detailed scenarios. And yeah, I, used to, I, I, I didn't like numbers. I, I'm Asian, but I, I didn't like numbers. I, I learned the Japanese way when I was growing up, yeah. but I just somehow just kind of created a dislike for them for some reason. But I think the, the thing that you have to remember is if, if you want to become a a better leader, you have to figure out how you can diversify your knowledge set so you can see through other people's eyes better. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to relate to people. You have to be able to weigh certain decisions that may be good sales, that maybe it's a bad financial move, maybe operate there's an issue operationalized, and you have to be able to sort of look at it from a, a greater greater sort of, I guess, clarity. Mm -hmm. So that's been a, a big game changer for me. So like every day, what I try to do is what more can I learn about different aspects of things that are affecting my industry or, or functionally affecting the company. Mm -hmm. So I'm always trying to figure out how I can do that better. And it's, it's helped me relate and help other people in the company do their job better. And I'm always open to feedback especially in areas that I'm not strong in mm -hmm. to figure out where my potential blind spots are. I asked one of my podcast guests because I have a podcast as well. And I, I learn a lot on the podcast as, as you do on this podcast. Mm -hmm. And I asked, what, what's the great characteristics of a, of a leader? Cause she's, my guests created lots of billion dollar uh, product releases. Okay. And she thought about it and she said, well, Great leaders are very self-aware. Mm -hmm. They may not be the strongest leaders by themselves, but if they're not, they know they're not good, and they have a team around them that accounts for that, and as a whole, they're strong. So I thought about that. Yeah, self-aware. So what can I do on a day-to-day -day basis to understand where my blind spots are? Mm -hmm. How do I set myself up so that people can talk to me and openly challenge me in a, in a caring way, in a well-intended way, so that I can get that feedback when I'm sucking. Yeah. So I've been working really hard on that and, and, and continue to do so. But I think that's the key of, of being a leader is you don't go around telling people what to do. You just have to figure out where you're weak in and how you can help your team win. 
hundred percent. You know, I, and I tell everybody the same thing, you know, so I'm not Asian, but I don't like the numbers. I'm very emotional. Um, a lot of my success over the last decade globally was always everybody likes Will. You know, I, I go into meetings as William and then I come out, everybody calling me Willie. And so I really embraced, you know, people do business with people. It's all about relationships. But I will say you get very narrow minded and you put yourself into, hey, this works. So this must be the right way. And that's where, again, I go back to, you know, getting humbled and going into a new role to get it, get an outside perspective and say, you know, had I taken the approach that I've learned now, <laughs> things could have been you know, more successful. So to transition then, you've been learning a lot. You're investing in making yourself better. You're committed to the future of Castagra. What is the future for you guys then? If you can talk a little bit, and I don't want to get into a competitive, but just, you know, your focus, are you guys focusing on growing? Are you looking at, you know, reducing operational costs? What are, I guess, what are the, you know, strategies that you're looking to put in place to continue your growth in your various markets? Yeah, I think innovation's the key. Mm -hmm. I think the world is constantly changing and it's changing at a quicker rate. So I think for any any company that is wanting to compete in the future, you have to ask yourself a few questions. Like, how can I learn faster? Mm -hmm. And how can I sort of execute and sort of create new products that, that are going to compete? Because I think people get the wrong assumption sometimes that when they have a technology that's, that's doing great, that they're going to be able to sort of live off that. And Technology is only a temporary advantage. You have to take that technology advantage, convert it into a brand and a trust advantage, and then repeat. You have to come up with the next thing. Mm. So it's an ongoing process of trying new things and not getting discouraged or scared of failing and creating a culture where you can constantly come up with new things and move forward. And I think where, where companies get stuck is when they stop doing that, when they stop taking the challenge uh, chances and they get way too conserved. So co companies on what you're doing or what we're trying to do is not stay conservative and you know, look for opportunities where there's high upside, low downside. Those opportunities come up execute them very quickly, and then f always find a way to, to manage downside risk because we can't predict the future. All we can do is prepare. If you look at Buffett, and I love this example, he goes, most of his money is, is made from preparing. He prepares by saving money and just waiting for opportunities patiently yeah. when things happen. He, he's not the one trying to say what's going to happen with a company in 10 years. He's, he's preparing. So I think as a, co as a company, it, you always have to prepare yourself to be better at finding new ideas, connecting with new people, testing different things to see what works. When you try to overly steer the situation, I think that's when you start to get into trouble because we, we can never, never predict. We couldn't predict this pan pandemic. We could, we just, the companies that had money in the bank and are prepared and they had good people are the ones that are going to do very well in this. So again, Tetsuya Nakagawa, COO Castagra Products Inc. If people want to learn more about your company, what's the best way for them to do so? Sure, reach out for me through LinkedIn or I have I have a podcast, but I'm always open-minded to connecting people that that 
are sort of giving and sharing and and I'll respond to any sort of open-minded conversation. And then in regard to just, you know, being a uh, connection, a resource, you know, through LinkedIn, uh, for all of our listeners that are not a part of the C-Suite network, hint, hint, there's opportunity. <laughs> but, you know, if people want to get a hold of you a different way, you know, can sure. you talk a little bit about, you know, just your availability on LinkedIn and then also, you know, introduce your podcast. What is your podcast about? What type of guests do you have? And uh, what are the conversations that you're having? Sure. Yeah. My uh, podcast is called Specified and it focuses on building materials and, and coatings. And I'll bring in sort of certain subject matter experts in marketing and entrepreneurship. That's about 30 to 40% of it. And then the rest are world-class entrepreneurs. So people that have built companies from zero to a hundred million to some of them have, have scaled companies to, to close to a billion. And just to really understand their mindset on how, how they think through things. And because the thing is what it comes down to is as people who are just, everyone is, is very similar, except how they perceive things and how they act day to day. And the foundation 100%. of that is always my mindset. So I'm always curious on how someone that's achieved such commercial success or had success in other ways in their life, how they think through challenges or how they've gone over adversity. And I think that's where we can learn the more, uh, the, the most from those, those people. So I try to focus on that. Tats, you're one of the best. It's been great just getting to know you and uh, obviously our connection and the, the things that are happening with the C-Suite Network. Again, your story is really incredible. I think that uh, anybody that's in the you know, building supply OEM of or maker of things in that industry, you do have a lot of insight that you can share. And I think, and I hope, and I invite any of the listeners that, you know, are in that industry, if they feel compelled to share their story with you on your podcast, I, I invite them to do so. And as always, you know, for all the listeners, I want to thank you all for tuning in. If you're a first time listener, I invite you to jump over to Podbean, iTunes, iHeartRadio, C-Suite Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts, hit the subscribe button. And don't forget to leave a rating and a review of my show so I can work to give you more of what you want to hear in the world of manufacturing, leadership, and everyday life, as you just heard today from my good friend Tats of Castagra Products, where he serves as the Chief Operating Officer. If you're in manufacturing and you have a story you want to share and be a guest of the show, the process is simple. Please go to the Podcast.com and request to be a guest of the show. My producer, Linda Hopler, will get in touch with you to complete the registration and scheduling process. All guests are free to the show, and we look forward to sharing your manufacturing story with our listeners. I thank you all so much. Thank you for tuning in to the Where's Willie Show. For more information on future shows, Please visit Where'sWillyPodcast.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Where's Willie Podcast and on Twitter at Where's Willie POD. Thank you all so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.